The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information about Jason can be found at deroshi-meyer.org. Well, I delight to see this room full. I pray that this word is what's drawing you in. That our God is exalting Himself and giving clarity and help as we walk through His Older Testament. Today we are in Proverbs. Last week, I believe, in this book, Proverbs 31. So I invite you to turn in your Bible there. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. 22 verses, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each of these verses on the excellent wife begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, although we can't see that in our English text. This is the epilogue, the ending of the book of Proverbs. So we see up here on our outline, we had a prologue and there's an epilogue. The prologue was nine chapters long and one of the distinct elements of those nine chapters was that wisdom was portrayed as a woman. It's intriguing how you can find a biblical portrait of manhood and womanhood in places you don't expect. And the way that Proverbs talks about wisdom portrays God's ideal for male and female relationships. This is a book that is particularly written to sons. And wisdom is portrayed as a woman because growing boys are supposed to be attractive to growing girls. Attracted to growing girls. This is how God made things. And this book is designed to portray what a nobleman growing up in an Israelite family should aspire to. What he should look for. And ultimately, all the noblemen's who in faint ways display Godliness are mere pointers to the ultimate nobleman, the ultimate wise man, the ultimate royal image bearer who would crush the serpent, rule on the throne, and whose kingdom would never end. That is the hope of the Old Testament. That there would be a king seated on the throne who would fear God perfectly and keep his commandments perfectly. And that's what Proverbs is calling for. For these boys to grow up and have a mindset that mom and dad's voice matters because mom and dad are seeking the Lord and setting forth the standards of their God. That mom and dad are not afraid to say, this is what God's called us to, but are rather bold and explicit and articulate about what truth is and what, about what good is and what evil is in order that the child might grow up in a world having a proper worldview, understanding that there is good and there is evil and that it's not relative. That there's a God who's seated on the throne who is the standard of determining what is right and wrong. And my obligation in this world is to be surrendered to Him above all things. There are only two ways in Proverbs, the way of wisdom and the way of folly, the way of righteousness, the way of wickedness. And the call of this book is, will you make the right choice? And if God will let godly men rise, the implication of the book is that there will be godly women who are right there following them. In nine chapters, the book portrays wisdom as a woman. It's portrayed that way. 
wisdom calling in the streets, everywhere that you might find yourself on any given day, in politics, in commerce, at Cub, and in Walmart, on the Little League field, at the Twins game. Wisdom is calling, calling. Will you hear? Will you make a choice that honors the Lord? Because there's another voice there, and it's Lady Folly. And she too is calling at every turn. So wisdom is about making right choices, but not just the right choices, choices under the fear of God. That's how everything is determined. You're living in a context wherein God is over all things and where you tremble knowing that this is His world and not yours and recognizing full well how small you are and how prone you are to wander. Nine chapters where wisdom is portrayed as a woman and then at the climax of the book, all portrayal is left aside and now it's just embodiment. The real deal. The ultimate gal. And what I want to do today is look at, this, at these 22 <laughs> verses and I hope motivate every woman in this room to something glorious. That a text that in the past may have actually been more a burden than a blessing because the perfect girl is impossible. That perhaps a rereading would all of a sudden bring deep encouragement. That some of you older ladies in this room looking back on your life, some of you men looking at your spouse would all of a sudden find God is shaping a Proverbs 31 gal and celebrate the gift of wisdom. To that end, let's pause and pray. One more time, pleading for God's help. You are an all-wise God, and I am asking that you would display your wisdom now. May you let a spirit of fear, a fear of God, not a fear of man, a fear of God move through this room, igniting, calling, wisdom, creating it where it is not, and expanding it where it already is in order that in this very dark and broken age, there would be beacons of light that are pointing to our ultimate wisdom, that the world would see in the men and women in this room and those that are raised under their care, a darkness-piercing, sickness-overcoming, hope-instilling wisdom that is so attractive that as you begin to sheep, separate the sheep from the goats more and more, that those who didn't even know they were born to be sheep would be awakened through the ministries of those in this room. That spouses who are right now blind would be awakened to a life of wisdom under the fear of God, even through the instrument of their spouse. That you would create awakening 
out of darkness, out of sleep, into light. For the glory of Jesus, I pray. For our help, I pray. Amen. Wisdom personified, wisdom embodied. 22 lines. You can see them beginning in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. And then, final two verses. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I just pause and I say, um, husbands, keep that in mind. Sons, children, keep that in mind. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That we're to pause and actually let it come out of our mouths. Not just assume, oh, she knows, she knows. But to praise her. And all of it will ultimately... Move to God. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the city gates. That's the frame. Now, one of my friends, he's a professor at Southern Seminary, wrote an excellent commentary on this book. And he recognized something that I want to draw our attention to as we start. So, there's different levels of artistry in poetry. And often we don't recognize the artistry if all we do is listen one time. So, in this song, in this poem, as I said, there's 22 lines, and each of the lines begins with a separate letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There also, though, appears to be a second level of artistry that is at work, a stair-stepped pyramid. They were called ziggurats in Mesopotamia, where you, in, in Egypt, the, the pyramids were, um, are, are most of them, not all of them, but most of them are um, smooth-sided. But in Mesopotamia, they were stair steps. So you actually climbed up and then kept climbing, and you got up to the top, and that's where the temple was, closest to the gods, and then you could walk down the other side. And the idea was that you wanted to climb up higher and higher until you could reach the gods. That's what we appear to have happening in the Tower of Babel. Well, poetry can be shaped that way. And this appears to do that as well. Now, when we look at this pattern um, of stair-steppedness, it doesn't follow the 22 verses, the 22-verse pattern. So it's not exactly equal, but, but as I look at this text, I think that this is right. So what it would mean is there's two different layers of artistry that are at work going on in this poem. And both of them can give us insights. One layer is just there's 22 different lines, and each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But then if you take a step back and you begin to look at the poem as a whole, already I looked at Proverbs 3, verse 10, and I noted this is an introduction. It's just an overarching statement, an excellent wife who can find her. And I think that the husband who's doing the talking right now is actually saying, I have. 
She's far more precious than jewels. And then the final two verses work together. And they're saying something very comparable. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her at the gates. The high value of a good wife is highlighted at the beginning. A high value of a good wife is highlighted at the end. And then as we move through the rest of the poem, we begin to see parallels. So what do we see? A husband is benefited by his wife in verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And then the husband and children praise the wife, verses 28 and 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Next we read about the wife being a hard worker in verses 13 through 19, and she's restated as a hard worker in verse 27. 13 through 19, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar, and she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength. Let me just pause and say, whoa, right? I mean, I remember at age 19 and then at age 20, so I'm 40 this year, and my wife and I celebrate our 20th, on June 11th, so I got married at 20, and I married an older, wise woman at 22, and I would say things like, I've married a Proverbs 31 gal. And, and I meant it, but when I read this, it sounds like this is who she is all the time. And as much as I love my girl, I've got to say she's not this all the time. So what is this for? I mean, I, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands on the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She really doesn't like sewing. But God gave us a 12-year-old daughter who makes her own clothes and She's amazing, but she does know how to do this, but uh, what do I do with that? We come to verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. We move one step deeper into the parallel. Wife gave to the poor. Wife spoke wisdom. Verse 20, some of these parallels may not seem as strong as others. So, verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom. Notice, opening, opening. She opens her mouth with wisdom. So her deeds and her words are wise. Wife had no fear of snow. Wife had no fear of the future. Verse 21a. She's not afraid of snow for her household 
And then verse 21b, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. So notice, wife had no fear of future, wife has clothed in dignity. So here's the reversal in verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She's clothed in dignity, and she has no fear of the future. Children were clothed in scarlet. Wife was clothed in dignity. Coverings for bed. Wife wore linen. Sold garments and sashes. Verses 22 and 24. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. There's only one verse out of these 22 that does not tell us something about the girl. And it happens to fall at the middle of the parallel. It's verse 23. It's the only one we don't hear about the girl. Instead, the focus is on the man. He's at the center of this kind of a woman. Or, he prospers because he's surrounded by this kind of a woman. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. High value of a good wife. High value of a good wife. Public respect for the husband. So, until recently, as far as I got was urging the men that I get to teach, be very careful, brothers the type of girl you surround yourself with. Lady Wisdom will help you gain respect in all that you do. When you look at these stair-step pyramids, the weight may be on the outside or the weight may be on the center. And in light of the fact that the book is addressed to sons, it suggests to me that the weight is at the center, that the primary audience is a father talking to his boys and that they would have said, that's who I want to be. And then the wise thing to do is to step back and say, well, then you need to surround yourself with Lady Wisdom. Not just the portrayal of it. You want to find a girl who longs to be this way. But there's more. There's more, and this more, I think, all of a sudden, I I pray, the spirit of wisdom will blow through this room and bring refreshment and ease burden. Let's consider the more of this text. Notice that all of these verbs, as they're translated in our ESV, are in present time. So, I've got my ESV, and for the moment, we're not going to focus on the grade part. The frame, remember I said verse 10 was an introduction, and verses 30 and 31, they frame the two, and they're just praising a wife of noble character, the ultimate value of a good wife. But within the body, notice that all these words are present, and it's because they're present that all of a sudden... This girl, in my reading, looks like superwoman. 
So the heart of her husband trusts present time, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good present time and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool present time. She is like a sheep. I mean, like the ships of the merchant. She, present time, brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night. She provides food for her household. She considers, she buys it, considers a field. She buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants it. She dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out. All this is present time. And all of a sudden, you begin to put all of this stuff on one woman, and it doesn't surprise me that all of my single seminarians aren't finding all these beautiful young women at our church who are just saying, here I am, and all these guys are just doing nothing. What are they looking for? This is not the kind of woman... that is real, if we translate them in present time. But notice something. Verbs, little Hebrew lesson, just between the two great up portions, all the body of the white section, okay, there are 19 katal forms, 9 vayaktol forms, and 5 yiktol forms. Now, well, all that you need to know is that the 19 katals and the 9 vayiktols, when you get out of poetry, indeed, when you get out of Proverbs, every translator renders them as past tense, not as present. All the time. Past time, not present time. Now we come to the five yiktol verbs, and yiktol is the normal Verb form for rendering present time or future time. She will do this or she does do this. That's the normal pattern. But scholars also agree that this verb form can be used in past time when it's addressing actions that are happening in a repeated way. Because this verb is called an imperfective, meaning that you focus on the action itself and you don't stress its beginning or end. It's just going on. So when you're talking about an action in the past, you can represent it in a habitual or a durative way. It was, this is what she used to do. This is how she responded over and over again. It's something that she did all the time. But what scholars have done in the book of Proverbs, specifically in these 22 verses, is that they've taken the normal use of the yiktol, the five instances, and used them and then retranslated the 28 other verbs that are normally not present, and they've made them into present tense. Rather than recognizing that the five yiktol verbs can very comfortably be rendered in past time, but have a focus on action that's being done over and over again. And I think that's how this passage is supposed to be read. So what I want to do is assume that the 28 different verbs that we see that are normally rendered past time are actually giving clarity on the way that we're to read this passage. And then, 
Every one of the five instances, which I've underlined on the right-hand side of the page, every time you see the five instances, you'll see how in every context they're talking about action that was done repeatedly. And it fits perfectly as a past-time translation. And this changes the passage. Not its ultimate substance, but our perspective on it. All of a sudden, it's not the kind of woman that we're looking for when we're young, but the kind of girl that we pray we can celebrate when we're old. A girl that's been on a long journey and wasn't superwoman all the time, but throughout her life, this is how I would portray her. So now, read this as I read through it. Read it as a husband who's in his 70s celebrating his wife's 70th birthday. And consider what it would mean. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusted in her. And he had no lack of gain. She did him good and not harm all the days of her life. She sought wool and flax and worked with willing hands. She was like the ships of the merchant. She would bring her food from afar. She rose while it was yet night and provided food for her husband and portions for her maidens. She considered a field and bought it. With the fruit of her hands, she planted a vineyard. She dressed herself with strength and made her arms strong. She perceived that her merchandise was profitable. Her lamp did not go out at night. She put her hands to the distaff, and her hands held the spindle. She opened her hand to the poor and reached out her hands to the needy. She was not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household were clothed in scarlet. She made bed coverings for herself. Her clothing was fine linen and purple. Her husband was known, is known, at the city gates. This is the only participle in the whole passage. So it could be rendered present time or past time. It always gets its sense from the rest of the context. And if he's up here talking, he could be declaring what is true right now. So it could, this could be he is. Her husband was or is known in the gates in his sitting among the elders of the land. She made linen garments and sold them. She delivered sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity were her clothing. She laughed at the time to come. She opened her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness was on her tongue. She looked well to the ways of her household and did not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rose up and called her blessed. Her husband also, and he praised her. Many women have done excellently, but you have surpassed them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands so that her works may praise her in the gates. What she's doing at home is resulting in great bounty where her husband is. Why? Because he's telling about her. Why am I like like I am? Why am I able to face trial like I can? Why do I have the perception of reality that I do? 
Because home has been a place of peace. It's been a place of empowerment for me. It's been a place of joy for me all throughout the years. It's not that there hasn't been trial. It is, it's not that I, I've got a perfect girl. If by that you mean sinless. But oh, God has blessed me. And what I have seen is a stability. And an ever-increasing perseverance uphill in the right direction. A long obedience in the right direction. That's what I've got. Now, it's my friend Brian. He's an Old Testament professor down at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's the one who turned me on to this reading, and I think, I think he's right. Some implications. Instead of what she does, this is a description of what she did and what she used to do. This may even be a eulogy at a funeral. But it's not the downer. It's a celebration of the unbelievable wisdom that this husband encountered, the wisdom of God that this husband encountered through his girl through all the years of their journey together. I found myself just laying on my bed and praying as I laid next to my wife, praying that God would continue the seeds of this kind of a woman that, I'm our, that I've seen in her for 20 years continuing to blossom that they would just continue to flourish and that I'd be able to have eyes to see it as wisdom and let it result as praise to God. That I would not be one who prunes her badly in order to wound her, but one who in my pruning shapes her in order that she might all the more blossom. That I might delight in her fruit. That the wisdom that's coming forth from her I would recognize as a gift of God and that I would celebrate it verbally, audibly. But this isn't a portrait of what she's doing now. That is, all of it together at one time. This is just 22 verse reflection trying to pack in all of that she was in 50 years of marriage. And he's not celebrating the warts, as we see when we get to um, Chronicles. This is this kind of portrayal, the Chronicler's kind of portrayal. When he doesn't talk about Manasseh, he doesn't talk about David and Bathsheba. He just doesn't even mention it in the history, because that's not his point. He's celebrating the unbelievable mercy of God and giving a wife who truly did display God. We're not talking about a prospective spouse for a young bachelor or even a young wife. Rather, this passage is about a mature woman whose character and labors have benefited her husband and children through the long haul. I celebrate this. And now all of a sudden I have something that I can more clearly pray for rather than say, oh, she's not there, she's not there, she's not there. But, But really long for my wife to just see what I've already seen in her in ever-increasing ways, that my daughters would be all, already be nurturing this kind of a mindset, entrepreneurial mindset, educated mindset, loving and dependent and, and others-serving mindset. That's what we're seeing portrayed here, and God calls it wisdom. The behaviors are typical, not constant, And they're certainly not simultaneous. She did not necessarily stay up late and rise early every day, but she did what was necessary for the benefit of the family in that particular moment. 
And oh, I've seen how my girl has done that. Already. Setting a pattern of doing what it takes to serve well. She did not necessarily have ongoing concurrent business in real estate, farming, tanning, and textiles. But over the years, she's done these kinds of things and it's benefited our family. And that's something to celebrate. This is a lifetime achievement recognition and not her daily planner. It's something that we pray. I could say this kind of a thing. What do you want written on your epitaph, ladies? May it be this kind of trajectory. May you say, God, make me that kind of a wisdom, that kind of a woman. May you shape my daughters to have this kind of aspiration. And may you, God, please be protecting already their future husbands. Shaping them to desire purity and wholesomeness and what this is celebrating. The shift away from present tense translation removes possible overtones of workaholism. And it adds the quality of perseverance and faithfulness that the Bible from start to finish celebrates. Let it be said on this pedal to the metal Sunday that Dr. Roshi has given all the women the license to change gears. <laughs> I should probably repeat that. So let it be said on this pedal to metal Sunday that Dr. Roshi has given the license to women to change gears. Long haul. That's what we're in for. Long obedience in one direction. And that means you've got to pace yourself and do it always under the fear of God in radical dependence. With high aspirations. But not the burden that you've already got to make it. She's still ideal. She's demonstrated that beauty is vain. By having lived out what is important. She fears God. She speaks with wisdom. She's industrious. She's valuable. She's valiant. But she's perhaps a bit more human. A bit more possible to imitate. When the verbs are translated as past, the perfect woman is a bit more possible to find in the present. And I see many of them already growing in this room. And I celebrate it. I pray you'd long for it. And men, I pray that you'd have eyes to see it and to celebrate it. To celebrate the evidences of God's grace that are at work in your spouses' wives, in your mother's life, in your sister's lives, in your daughter's lives. That you'd recognize it as a work of God. Teresa has at times told her friends and me, she has kind of an 80-20 life. There's about 20% of Jason that she's super, not, not too thrilled about. <laughs> My, my mom, who was seven years older than my dad, when Teresa got married to me, she said, you got it, honey. Get them young and train them how you want them. 
We're 20 years into this, and, and, and there's still probably 20% of Deroshi that is just stubborn. And, but there's 80%, 80% that she's celebrating. And God continues to work off those rough edges in my heart. And I just celebrate that I've been at this for 20 years with this woman, and I can't imagine doing it with anyone else. Wisdom is being shaped in her, it's, and it's helping me be the man that I am. It's helping me do what I do here, do what I do at the seminary. It's helping me be the dad that I'm seeking to be, the writer that I'm seeking to be. Wisdom. Something to long for. And then just a note at the end. You guys can look at the passages that I aligned with the six bullet points about Christ our wisdom, but I want to draw attention to that as we close. And let me, so let me just move through a few slides here. Um, Israel was hoping for the embodiment of wisdom. The king was supposed to be one who learned to fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. And as he feared the Lord, he would keep all the words of this law and the statutes. And all the kings in Israel were merely pointers to the ultimate king, the ultimate son of David. That means that the book of Proverbs, what I want to do is is help you see how to read it to celebrate the cross. As you're reading through and seeing this portrait of wisdom, it's, yes, something that we need to aspire to under the fear of God, but if that's as much as we have, we are going to be carrying big burden. Because before we can aspire to perfection, be perfect as I and your Heavenly Father are perfect, before we can aspire to perfection, we need pardon. A pardon that is based on one who lived the life of wisdom perfectly. That as we read this book, before we even are considering what choices should I be making, we should pause and celebrate the perfect right choices that Jesus made from birth to his ascension. And now that spirit of Christ is alive in us, progressively increasing our display of our all-wise God in our lives. But when you see wisdom not operative... When you see in your own life, whether lady or guy, that you're not living where you should be, we fall back into the arms of Christ or we fall forward toward the cross rather than away from it because Christ is the ultimate wisdom hope. He's the hope of Proverbs. As they're raising up noblemen, every one of them would then serve as a pointer. In Israel, living in darkness living in brokenness, where the kingdom hope was so dim. How do we live for God in this broken world? What does wisdom look like? You begin to embody in yourself the character of God, making right choices, understanding what right order is, and doing so all in hope of the ultimate one who would come. Kingdom hope in Proverbs. Christ was shown, Christ's wisdom was shown in his teaching and in his deeds. When John heard 
in prison about the deeds of Christ. He sent word by his disciples. Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him. He's a glutton, and he's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You call it foolish, but ultimately, wisdom is justified by your deeds. He's living the wise life. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom? They're identifying what the Old Testament was calling for. They're identifying Jesus is it. His wisdom was greater than Solomon's. And in the Old Testament, there's no one who had wisdom to match Solomon. Something greater than Solomon is here. It's bound up in the gospel. We impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. A wisdom of God that's bound up in brokenness, in suffering, leading to a cross. In order that in this one man, all of our failures to align with wisdom might be borne upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And now we have a God who stands and looks at us. And he's not checking off, were they wise today? Were they wise today? No, he is 100% for us. And it's in that framework that we move ahead in pursuing the life of wisdom. That we move ahead desiring to be the woman that he's called us to be. To be the man that he's called us to be. Only in a context that says, God is for me already. We have to build our life in our pursuit of wisdom on past pardon. And in light of the pattern set by the cross. And in that we gain fuel because we're not trying to earn our way up. We're resting in a God who is for us. Wisdom. The Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom. I look to this verse, I say it to myself, when Therese and I are not knowing where to go and what to do, when decisions are tough about parenting, when decisions are tough about our house situation, 27 showings and no sale, with six kids, a lot of work, especially for my gal. God, what do we do? Where, what are you trying to teach us right now? And I'm falling back on, okay, Jesus is my wisdom. And then when I recognize I was foolish, I fall back and say, Jesus is my wisdom. Camp there and celebrate the ultimate display of our all-wise God in the person of His Son. Our wisdom is Christ. From Him, we gain all of our hope, all of our help. Camp there, let your life be grounded there, and aspire to greatness. May your epitaph, may your 70th birthday... Celebrate wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has become our wisdom in Jesus. I just feel refreshed today, reminding myself that he is our wisdom, along with our righteousness and our sanctification. He is our wisdom. And oh, we need His help. Guide us. Help these ladies in this room aspire to the Proverbs 31 woman. May these 
men in this room, if you've given them a gal, may they be an instrument that nurtures that kind of living. But may, may there be freedom today to aspire to something great, to aspire to an ideal and yet not carrying the burden that this is a daily planner. Thank you for Jesus who takes all of our warts, all of our imperfections, and cleanses them so that when you look at us, you see reflections of yourself, all wise. Continue to develop us more into your likeness for the glory of your Son, especially in light of how dark and broken this world is. May wisdom shine and pierce Call attention to foolishness and be attractive to fools to want to turn from where they're at to the right path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at bcsmn.org. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at deroshi-meyer.org. Proclaiming the Kingdom and treasuring a God who rules, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.